Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. And on this week's midweek mini episode, we are going to look at the one star reviews, lessons from one star reviews. Now, I wanted to do this little insight. I want to do this little episode because I think so frequently we talk about our successes in business. We talk about our successes in life. And while we do sometimes share our lessons from failures, it's it's less seldom for us to actually take a, a more scrutinizing look at how we can improve. So I, I just want to share uh, one review with you. I think I, I searched through my reviews on iTunes and I could only find one comment that was a one-star review. And this is from February 22nd, 2019. So it's a, it a recent one. And it's from Speed 1955. So Speed 1955, I don't think you're listening anymore. But if you are, uh, thanks for the review. Uh, he says, or he or she says, get a thesaurus. That's the title. Uh, could someone please get this guy a thesaurus? He uses the word often and oftentimes at least 25 times per episode. And it's often very distracting. Uh, hard to listen to the content because of the overuse of those words. Great. Love this. Okay. Here's the deal. I appreciate this feedback. I think this is very valid feedback. And I th I think that when we get into putting ourselves out in the public, we very much want to be honed. We want to be perfect, right? I have people reach out to me all the time who say, how do I get started? Can you give me some advice on starting my podcast? Can you give me some advice on, you know, doing Instagram videos? You seem natural with it. And the reality is, is that it's, it's not it's not usually a natural thing. That's just the truth. It has taken time and effort and energy and practice to cultivate skills into becoming a better interviewer, becoming a better listener so that I, when I have guests on the show, I'm listening to what they're putting out so I can dig deeper, so that I know what questions to ask, so I know where to steer the conversation and, and what to pull out. But I think the interesting thing here is that there is always room for improvement always room for improvement. And it's interesting because, you know, this feedback is incredibly valid and it actually supports me. I welcome this feedback because it actually supports me in sharpening my axe and sharpening my tool as an interviewer. Now, where, where this is interesting is that it sounds like this person has listened to my podcast for a while. And if they've listened to my podcast for a while, they would know that on every single episode, I say, reach out to me at Man Talks on Instagram. If you have feedback, if you think that I can improve things, if you want to see guests on the show. And the, the interesting thing for me and the challenge for me with the way that, that social constructs are set up right now is that feedback doesn't happen directly, right? Few people reach out and actually share feedback with me directly. Some people will say, hey, I love your podcast. I've been listening for a year and, you know, it's it's radically changed my life and I really appreciate it. And, you know, I, my my wife and I listen to it or, you know, my boyfriend and I tune into it every single week and we've learned so much and thank you. And that that does happen. But there is there is something interesting about the ranking system that we have created culturally, right? Right now, you don't have to ever give direct feedback to another human being if you don't want, right? You get in an Uber car, and if that Uber car is just a mess and they're driving 20 under the speed limit and they're taking the wrong direction, most people don't say anything until they get out of the car 
and they rank that person as a two or a one or a three or whatever it is. We go to restaurants and we don't talk to managers anymore. We wait till we leave to Google review them or Yelp review them and you know berate the experience. What's challenging about this system that we have put into place is that we are slowly losing the art of direct feedback. And if this person would have reached out to me and said, hey, here's one thing that I think you could do to dramatically improve your interviews and dramatically improve your uh, content, I would have appreciated that. I mean, I appreciate him leaving or her uh, leaving the review. I would have appreciated it because then I would have gotten to ask more questions about how they think I can do that. Leaving the review on here is good because now I know I can be aware of how often I say often. Uh, but it lacks in the sense that the, it, it's missing a human interaction, right? So I wanted to say a few things about one-star reviews. First and foremost, the, the number one lesson is that one-star reviews are actually important, right? I've, I've heard authors before that I've even had on the show who have said, my publishers tell me not to go and read the reviews. Why the hell not? Why would you not want to go and read the reviews? Why would you not want to go and hear and see all of the praise and also the criticism of some of your creativity and your artwork? Maybe there is validity in it that you don't want to see and hear, right? There is validity in what this person's comment was, right? They said, you use the word often too much. And when I really thought about it, they're right. They're absolutely right. I do I do that. But now that I'm aware of it, I can cut back on it. I can use different words. I can shift. I can, I can evolve my creative uh, process. I can evolve my, my interview style. And all of that information is really helpful feedback. The interesting thing is that, again, we have created this culture that negates us from having to ever give direct feedback. And this plagues our kids in their school systems. This plagues our work environments where people are tiptoeing around giving direct feedback to their coworkers who aren't showing up, who aren't doing their work on the projects, who are letting down the team, who are letting down the company, who are letting themselves down as an employee. This affects our relationships where we are afraid to give our partners direct feedback because we don't want to hurt their feelings. It's, we, are, we are slowly becoming conditioned to cut out the uncomfortable conversations of reaching out to someone and saying, hey, I want to call you forward. Here's how I think you can do better. And these are incredibly important conversations that we need to have more of, especially as men, we, we crave and, and desire challenge. And sometimes challenge comes in the form of direct feedback. So my invitation for you is to reach out to someone today and give them direct feedback. And that can be praise, right? You could reach out and say, hey, thanks so much. But the more challenging thing is always giving negative constructive feedback. Now, I'm going to define that, okay? And there is, there's positive constructive feedback. There's positive ambiguous feedback. And we've all heard that. It's like, hey, great job. It's like, okay, thank you. I don't really know what I did right, but sounds like you appreciate what I did. There's so positive constructive feedback is always a reinforcement of appreciation followed up with the details of what you actually appreciate it. So if you come home and you see that your partner has cleaned some things, use the details of what they've done. Say, hey, thank you so much for wiping down the counters and emptying the dishwasher 
and you know, going above and beyond with X, Y, and Z, I noticed it and I really appreciate it. That's positive, constructive feedback. And that goes a long way because it's like, hey, thanks for cleaning up the house. It doesn't land as well because maybe they think, well, you just saw how I cleaned the counters, but you didn't see how I emptied the dishwasher and how I did the dishes and how I vacuumed. You didn't see all of those things. Maybe you just saw the one thing. So try and use as many details as possible for positive, constructive feedback. On the other side is negative, ambiguous feedback. And this is probably the worst kind of feedback. It's the, hey, you're doing a shitty job. And that's kind of it. There's no, here's how, here's what you could do better. There's no, here's how you can improve. There's really no support. It's just, hey, this sucks and I don't like it. Or I think you could do better. And, and there's no support in telling you how you could. So where we want to move when we give quote unquote negative feedback is we want to move into a space of giving negative specific feedback, negative specific feedback. And what that means is we say, hey, I see that you are, you know, I'm going to use this example. I, you know, uh, I've been listening to your podcast for a while. There are parts of it that I really appreciate and enjoy. And there's also an area for growth. You know, I've been listening, I've listened to three episodes now and I hear you use words like often or usually uh, way too much. And it, it actually in, like diminishes my listening experience. Do you think that you could be more mindful of that? That is a negative specific experience. That's a negative specific feedback. And, and it's really, really helpful. When we receive negative specific feedback, what we can do is, is start to question whether or not, first and foremost, is that feedback accurate? Is it true? And if it is true, then we can look at how we start to course correct. So uh, the other thing that I wanted to say, secondly, is that the self requires the other. So number the second point on one-star reviews is that the self requires the other. We are somewhat limited in our capacities to view ourselves. We live very busy lives in our world. People have tons of things on the go between their kids and social media and you know all the podcasts that they're trying to listen to and the books that they're trying to read and the TV shows that they're trying to watch and the vacations that they're trying to plan and the work projects that they have going on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we are, you know, in, unless you're Eckhart Tolle and you can sit around and be self-aware all day long, and that is your, that's the totality of your existence that you basically have set up your life in such a way where you can just sit there and become more and more self-aware of your behaviors and you've produced a methodology to do that. It's very challenging to effectively see all of the parts of yourself that are working and that are not working. So what we want to do is we want to remember that the self requires the other. And what that means is that you require other people to mirror back who you are and how you function. And that might not be in direct feedback. And it might just be witnessing someone else's behavior, witnessing someone else's actions and seeing yourself in those behaviors and actions, being able to see yourself in that person and say, oh my gosh, I do the exact same thing. Or, oh my goodness, I actually do the opposite of that. What does that mean? How does, what does that mean about me? And being able to start to understand yourself by understanding others. And the, the, the final thing, the final thing is that we must take risks. We must take risks. I hear so many people in their heads needing things to be perfect before they can venture out, before they can write the book, create the program, start the product, start the course, you know, build the project, start the team, 
start the family, have kids, you, you know, apply for the new job. I mean, the list is just endless. People don't want to take risks because they are worried of what will happen on the other side. And we need to take smart risks. In fact, we just need to take risks, period, because sometimes we need to just start taking risks to understand what smart risks are versus what a naive or uh, maybe not thought out risk actually is. Because if we don't, the results will be much worse than the risk itself. And I really want you to sit with that. If we don't take risks, if you don't take risks in your life, the results of that will be much more catastrophic than the risks that you take. Because when you take risks, and the caveat to that is when you learn from the risks that you take, then you start to hone in your ability, in your decision-making process, in the direction of your life, in your purpose, in your goals, in your relationships, in what you desire. When we don't take risks, all that happens is that we contract in life and we feel stagnant. We feel like we're playing small and like we're not showing up in the world and we're not getting what we want, but we don't know why. And it's because we are we have created such a enmeshed and, and codependent relationship with comfort, right? We have created a codependent relationship with comfort. And when we do that, we are screwed. <laughs> We're really screwed because that's a really hard place to get out of. Uh, but it all starts by taking risks and being okay with getting the one-star reviews, being okay with getting negative, constructive feedback, being okay with getting hateful feedback. I mean, when I started Man Talks, I had people lashing out at me that were so threatened by the concept of putting on a conversation for men. And I had to be okay with that. And it was a risk that I was willing to take because I knew that people needed to have these types of conversations. The, the risk of the reward outweighed the risk of not being liked. And for some people that are out there in the world, I don't know if you're listening to this one or not, but for some people that are out there in the world, they are so concerned about the risk of not being liked that it paralyzes them from pursuing their dreams. That is often a reflection of the internal concern and anxiety that they won't be happy with themselves, that who they will become, they will not like, or they won't know. And that's even more terrifying for some people. Who will I become when I take action on this? And oftentimes, <laughs> oftentimes, but oftentimes people will not take action because they're worried about what other people say. But what they are worried about other people saying is actually a reflection of their own internal voice. So when you really dig in and you ask people, what are you worried about other people saying? Those are the, comment, those are the comments that they actually make themselves inside their head. Right? So when you think about all the, all the risks that you want to take, all the projects that you want to build, the goals that you want to achieve, and you think to yourself, well, what if people don't like it? What if people, uh, you know, what if there's embarrassment? What if, what if people reject me? What are you worried about people saying and realize that those stories are actually stories that you tell yourself. Now, other people might say them eventually, but the reality is, is that you are the first hurdle. You are the first block. You are the first thing that needs to be overcome in the game of risk, in the game of putting yourself out there, in the game of moving towards your goals and your dreams and success and fulfillment and joy and alignment and authenticity. You are the first hurdle. So learn how to jump it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. 
Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with just one person. Goes a long way, especially someone who maybe has been taking some uh, some some boots from life. You know, they've been getting some one star reviews in one way or another. Uh, please share this episode and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. If you have some negative constructive feedback, please let me know. If you have some positive constructive feedback, let me know that as well. And uh, uh, until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off.